Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. The Fed Chair and Treasury Secretary wrapping up their testimony today on Capitol Hill before the House Financial Services uh, Committee. The response to the pandemic, certainly the topic of conversation with Fed Chair Powell, saying the Fed is committed to using its tools for as long as it takes. Mr. Powell noting improvement today in parts of the economy, particularly uh, housing and the labor market for the Treasury Secretary's uh, part. Uh, he told lawmakers today that additional targeted stimulus is needed to keep the economy moving forward. The problem, of course, with that is the stalemate on Capitol Hill over more aid. We will turn our attention now to the markets. It's good to have you with us on the Halftime Report today on this Tuesday. I'm Scott Wapner. After a four-day losing streak, stocks are attempting a bounce today. We're going to debate where your money is likely to go from here with our investment committee today. And joining us for the hour are Stephanie Link, or at least what's left of it, Josh Brown, Pete Nigerian, Brenda Vangelo is the CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors. We're also joined today by Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, who says stocks and especially technology are still vulnerable. So, Mike Wilson, I want to begin with you because that's our headline of the day where you essentially are saying that the Nasdaq 100 sell-off is only halfway over. Well, look, uh, thanks for having me, Scott. Look, it's good to see you guys. I, uh, I, I don't know how much the sell-off is going to be. I mean, we never know exactly. But this, you know, this sell-off has been ongoing now for a few weeks. I mean, the month of September has been pretty rough. And we have to recognize that August was a bit of a blow-off move centered on those technology stocks. So that's where the correction has been the harshest. And so if you're going to have more of a correction, then it would make sense that the damage would be greatest there. By the way, it's just a correction in a bull market, right? We got too extended. And now we have visible things that people are worried about. And, they, you know, we just had this uh, uh, meeting with Congress around the fiscal, you know, the fiscal stimulus is the big issue. And if that doesn't happen or gets delayed, that's going to weigh on equity prices in the short term, for sure. But look, I, I mean, the, the Nasdaq 100 right now is down 12 percent from its high, right? You're talking about the Nasdaq 100 going back and testing its 200-day moving average. That takes you to 95.83. I mean, we're looking at another 13 percent downdraft if your numbers are right. So you're at least putting some sense of idea as to how far down we could go from here well that's exactly right we're trying to figure out what the what the downside could be that would be the maximum drawdown right the 200 day moving average is a good technical level i mean that's what you have to look at now scott right is the technicals because it's a correction and that's our only guide at this point right we're still bullish on the recovery we're still bullish on stocks going into next year but we have to be honest with ourselves it got overcooked Right. These all of these trends got a little bit extended in August and we're just you know retracing back to the trend lines. I mean, that's that's a that's a natural place for it to draw down to if it continues. We already took out the 50 day. So that's kind of your next stop. I mean, could it stop somewhere in between there? Of course it could. OK, 
But th- th- there's no doubt. Let's talk about what's driving this, right? That that's really the bigger issue here, Scott. Is are we really concerned about a fiscal you know cliff causing a double dip recession? No, we're not, because we think ultimately something will get done either before the election or after the election. And there's probably enough gas in the tank to get us through. There's other things weighing on the market as well. Of course, we have the second wave to deal with. We don't know what that's going to look like. And maybe that results in further lockdown. We don't know. And, of course, the election. So just a lot of uncertainty, higher volatility, you know, a classic September, uh, you know, October correction. That's what that's what's going on right now. But how how do you advise people then to think about buying the dip? Right. If, if you know, no one knows where the market's going to go from here. Uh, obviously, if we did, we'd be doing something else. Um, but how do you advise people if you still think we're in a bull market, but things could get ugly in technology? What are my viewers supposed to do with that? Well, first of all, it's not just technology, right? The whole market is correcting. And in fact, yesterday was about the recovery stocks, right? The recovery stocks really got hit uh, exceptionally hard. And technology actually performed pretty well in that. So it's a, you know, it's a broad correction, just like it's been a broad rally. So what we're advising our clients is, look, we're fully invested. We you know, we were aggressive kind of at those lows, buying stuff. And we've been buying stuff all along. And, and all we're telling folks now is, look, this is natural. This is what you should expect. We, we actually thought this correction would happen in August, if you really want to be you know, flat out honest. And, and we, were, we missed that by a month. Okay, fine. So now we're in it. We don't think, you know, we don't think we're oversold enough necessarily. It's not the end of the world. We're not telling people to try and trade this on the downside. And by the way, we'll be buying technology stocks into this sell-off. We'll be buying uh, all kinds of stocks into this sell-off. That's what we're advising people. Be patient here. Let's look for things that we want to own into next year. Let's not worry so much about the next couple of months and take advantage of this dip. No, you, have a, you always have a good way of putting everything into perspective, and that's why I enjoy um, the back and forth, the conversation about where you, you think we, we could go. So, Josh Brown, you, you take all of this together, and you put it where? I, I see you adding to CrowdStrike, uh, which you've owned adding some on, as Mike Wilson just said, on the way down. Yeah, so I'm actually, I've been averaging up in CrowdStrike. I'm looking for stocks that didn't fall during the recent volatility and that remained under accumulation. CrowdStrike, very obviously to me, wants higher. Um, I was going to point out, I like the fact that Mike is using technicals because I really don't think you can look at something like a NASDAQ correction and make calls on it based on fundamentals because the fundamentals for these companies are not changing. If anything, they're only improving. Um, And Zoom Media is a great example of why that's a a foolish game to try to play. Here's a stock that goes from $480 a share down to $350 and then back up to where it is today, new record high, $490. All of what I've just described took place during the month of September, and it's only September 22nd. So in 22 days, do we think that Zoom um, fundamentally was worth tens and tens of billions of dollars less and then more? Obviously not. So I think that game is a technician's game. And to answer your question, Scott, that you posed to Mike, I'll give you my take. I really don't think that the average market participant should be doing anything like trying to figure out a NASDAQ correction ahead of time and how to play it during. It's, it's not a game for someone who's not in front of their screen all the time and well-versed in how to use technicals as support and resistance levels. It's not a casual game. And if you play it casually, you're just going to chop yourself up into sushi, and uh, it's not going to work out well for you. So I think Mike's right. For most people, focus on what your game plan is. Don't worry about the next month. You have no control over it. No one knows anyway. Um, and, And try to buy quality. So I'm looking for companies that are growing, under accumulation, 
and, and poised to break out. I think CrowdStrike is in that group. Steph, are, are you looking to make moves right now in the market, Stephanie Link, or, or are you like Mike Wilson? Uh, yeah, I think concerned is a fair enough word that stocks got ahead of themselves enough that they've got some uh, considerable downside, perhaps, to, to get right, if you will. Well, Mike said it. Uh, the, mar- the market doesn't like uncertainty, and we do have uncertainty, unfortunately, with the fiscal, with the elections. Seasonally, this is not a great time for the market or for stocks. So I think you do want to be patient. Technology is certainly vulnerable because the XLK, it's up 23% year to date, but it's up 60% from March. And we know a lot of these stocks. Josh just mentioned Zoom, up 500% on the year. Look at Apple and AMD and NVIDIA and and Microsoft. These stocks have had incredible runs, so certainly they could pull back. Where I am looking in terms of where I want to be buying, and and I'm going to be very patient, but let's look at auto, let's look at housing, let's look at manufacturing recovering in a V-shaped manner. Those are end markets where I think the momentum is going to build into next year. And there are technology stocks like an NXPI, like a LAM Research, like an AMD, who have exposure to those end markets. But then I also want to own some of those other companies as well, like housing and like consumer and manufacturing. So I think you want to stay diversified and, again, stay patient. Mike Wilson, you know, you, you've looked at FANG, and, and Apple has been in this bear market in its own right, right? It's down 15% month to date. Facebook's down 15. Amazon's down, down 12 and a half. Um, how do you view FANG in the, in the overall prism of, of the market? whether you think that those stocks have to have a resurgence of some kind in order for the market to do well. Yeah, look, I mean, look, these are terrific companies and the market has reflected that. And yeah, they're in, I mean, they're correcting. I mean, but in the context of the moves that they've had this year, I mean, that's not much pain, quite frankly. So that's fine. I mean, that's good. That means these stocks are probably holding on to their upward trends. And I think that's constructive. You know, once again, maybe that downsides a little bit more in the short term. Those are stocks that you're going to want to continue to own probably into next year for sure. But I think they're back to Stephanie's point. I think she brings up a good one. This is how we're sort of looking at it. If you believe in the recovery, in which we do, we've been in the V-shaped recovery story all along. And we do think ultimately we'll get past these near-term concerns and ultimately it'll be positively resolved into next year. The real winners from here in terms of percentage change are going to be those companies that have not yet recovered in the stock market, that have not yet seen the earnings rebound because they can't. The, 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 mar- the economy is closed for many of these services and businesses. And that's where we see the biggest upside potential. So we're still recommending a barbell of these great growth companies when they come in and they start to reflect the risk of higher rates down the road. And we want to have the other side of the barbell to the companies that are most levered to the recovery that we think is still intact. Pete, I see you making a lot of moves. And I see you being a fairly considerable seller uh, of calls in Micron and Dow and AMD and Synchrony and Snap and Tech Resources. And those are all options positions. And then when it comes to stock, you sold City as well. So give us a sort of a, a, the, the look inside your mind as you're, you're doing all this and why now. Well, in all honesty, with the, with the options, I'm just trading options. Options are the trading tool, as you know, Scott. I mean, I, when we're looking at the options positions, we're buying and we're looking for those opportunities. And if we get any kind of spikes off of that and we talk about it all the time, we're going to either take off part or all of that trade. So 
Last week, by the end of the week, some of these things had moved very nicely, so we decided, you know what, it's time to exit some of these. It doesn't mean I'm not going to jump right back in. As a matter of fact, one of the names that you mentioned is going to be an unusual where I actually jumped back in today. So that one, I think, is interesting and has more upside, but i got to take what's in front of me. In terms of city, though, Scott, that's the interesting one because I'm listening to Mike. Mike and I are good friends. This guy's really smart. He's been right on, it seems like, most of this entire way this year, which has been very difficult to navigate. But the reality is, I wonder, and I'm curious from Mike, are the financials one of those areas where you talked about some of the areas that have not participated? Because we've all watched J.P. Morgan and the XLF. The XLF gets to 25 and it breaks down almost every time. J.P. Morgan gets over 100, breaks down it seems like almost every time. So when are those going to start to move to the upside? I got out of city. I actually added Capital One for a different reason. But I'm just curious from Mike's perspective, are the financials an area that he thinks can be one of those resilient areas at some point and maybe start to make a move to the upside that's actually sustainable? It's not just a one or a two day deal. Well, I, sh- I sure hope so, uh, Pete. I mean, look, that's that's part of our call. Um, look, I think that it's very clear what's holding back the financials. It's, it's long term interest rates and, of course, the election. Right. Because the election, um, depending on which way it goes, could have. Uh, really positive implications perhaps for financials or it may result in more onerous regulation we don't know so that uncertainty is is front and center for this particular space here's what i'll say i mean the group is not discounting much of a recovery at this point it's still one of the very cheapest groups out there Um, it's definitely not discounting rates moving up because if they were you would see these stocks performing better so the way i think about the financial sector it's kind of like a it's kind of like a call option right you have asymmetric upside uh, potential not a lot of downside here. Okay, now in a market that's moving very quickly to the upside and stocks that aren't participating, that's opportunity cost. But in a world where things have kind of been bid up, I do like this space. And our view is predicated somewhat on our view that rates are going to move up at the back end. Um, I think that's, you know, we've, we've kind of made that point many times. And we also continue to have a very strong view about the recovery. So yeah, we're there, um, hasn't worked. It's been one of our, our worst calls so far this year. Uh, but we're sticking with it for sure. If, if it doesn't work, does that crush your overall thesis? No, not at all. I mean, I think I do think though, Scott, that if I'm if we're wrong about rates moving up at the back end, then I do think it's going to become a narrower market again. But I would say this also: if rates don't move up at the back end, I would argue strongly that something has gone wrong with the recovery. Okay, so that means there's a lot of vulnerability in the stock market. We're not in that camp. But I would suggest strongly that if rates don't start moving up at the back end as we get through these events, then that probably means the recovery is fading, that there's something else going on. And then the overall stock market is probably a risk and the whole bull market could be a risk. Why can't it it just simply mean uh, where the Fed is? Right. I mean, you know, I'm not even thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking about raising rates. So you could continue to move towards a vaccine. The economy could continue to creep in the right direction, which it is now. It's not where anybody wants it to be, but it is at least moving in the right direction. The Fed's not going anywhere anytime soon. You could conceivably have a, a, a much further recovering economy and rates that are still low. You could, but I, I really believe that uh, you know, in the past we've had obviously quantitative easing and other uh, recovery periods. And I would use 2016 as a pretty good proxy. That was the last time we had sort of a reflationary recovery from a global recession. This time it includes the United States. So in that, it was the same setup, right? Going into the fall, rates were low because of Brexit. This time, rates are low because of COVID. But as you get through these events and things get resolved, I do think the back end will move out. If it doesn't, 
that means that the recovery probably isn't going to be that robust. So I'm not in the view that the, the Fed is going to pin rates to the back end. They've told us that many times. They've backed away from yield curve control. I think they want actually rates to steepen. I really do, uh, because that will help their cause in getting money supply growth and getting the banking system moving in the right direction and velocity, which is required to reach their goals on inflation. So I think it all fits nicely. And, and look, we're still constructive in that viewpoint. Yeah. Brenda, um, all right, you've heard everybody's opinion. So what do you tell people to do? Yeah, I think right here and now, you know, we wouldn't disagree um, with Mike's suggestion to have more of a barbell approach. Where I don't think you want to abandon the tech names that have done so well, recognizing that it's okay to trim around positions and take some profits. But I don't think we want to abandon that trade right now because we still see there is scarcity of growth and interest rates are still incredibly low. So in our view, that's a recipe for that group to continue working here. But at the same time, I think you want to think about what comes next and have more of a forward-looking view, in which case we would recommend owning some of those names that, that are more impacted by the economy, a Disney, a Honeywell, a Booking Holdings. And we have actually been transitioning a little bit of exposure into global value as well, um, something that in our view is um, could have good long-term performance if we continue to see a global economic recovery play out here. How about that, Mike, before I let you run, um, this idea of going more global? than where you are now. Brenda is, you know, doing that. And Josh and Pete and Steph have, you know, talked about this too. What about that idea? No, we're, we're in that camp as well. And I'll get to that in a minute. I mean, I, I don't think we're that different, Brenda. I mean, I, I, we do want to buy growth stocks. We want that barbell growth plus the recovery stock. So we're in that camp. We just think some of the growth stuff got a little overcooked and, and, and that'll come to us now. We'll, we'll buy them at better prices. Now, with respect to the global, that's uh, the same idea. Right. I mean, the global economy is part of this recovery as well. And there's some terrific opportunities there, particularly if we're right about rates moving up and also the dollar weakening as fiscal stimulus becomes more structural in nature. And that weighs in the dollar that will drive capital to other parts of the, of the world. So, yeah, we think this is a global equity rally. It's a global bull market. It's not just in the U.S. We do think it's going to continue to broaden out. Uh, that would be very healthy. Uh, and, and that's how we're positioned as well. So I, I agree with that. I, I lied. I do have one more question for you because we didn't talk about the election. What, what sort of risk do we have? What's in the market? How should we be thinking about that some 40, 40 some odd days out? Yeah. So, look, I mean, the, the market's been uh, dealing with this, obviously, for quite a while. I think in early June, it took a real turn in terms of its viewpoint. That's when the president's poll numbers really uh, fell uh, sharply in June. Um, the market really started to price in a blue sweep, I would argue, throughout the summer. We saw a lot of beneficiaries of what I would what I would call a, a blue government, um, you know, ESG type stocks, technology, which you could argue uh, will be do better under uh, a Biden administration with a with a Democratic Congress, and of course the financials have lagged, and so does energy. So those are two areas that the, the Democrats may want to uh, overregulate. So if you uh, take the view that perhaps that's not the right outcome, that uh, that is going to be a close uh, election then there's opportunity and those areas have been beaten up and there's probably risk in some of the areas that are now assuming it's going to be a blue sweep all i can tell you scott i think it's gonna be really close um, and that's going to create ball that's going to keep the volatility high because i think this election is going to is going to keep uncertainty high through november 3rd maybe beyond uh, given the fact that it's mail-in votes and it may take a while to count them yeah it feels like the consensus at this point we shall see mike wilson thank you that's morgan stanley's thank mike wilson Joining us there up next, Pete has unusual activity. We've got some calls on Amazon, Facebook, and Teladoc. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. 
which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. We're back on the Halftime Report. It's time for our futures outlook now. The dollar hitting its highest levels in more than a month. Jim Urio of TJM Institutional Services is joining us now. Technically speaking, Jimmy, where are we going from here, do you think? Okay, well, this is the, the 94 level is a huge level and a big inflection point. For the last couple of weeks, we've been stuck in a channel from 92 to 94. And now that we've poked above that a little bit, it, it's, it's going to be curious to me to see how it resolves itself. I think we'll know today or tomorrow. If it settles above 94 today and tomorrow, I think it's heading back up to 96. And remember, this has huge ramifications to a bunch of other markets, too. A lot of that NASDAQ trade was just based on the fact that all kinds of accommodation was being thrown into this market and people were getting out of dollars into relative safety. So I think this is this is a pretty big deal. I think that's probably how it resolves itself. When anything, when it's this big, I do worry about the quick uh, uh, poke above it and then the rejection. I think we'll know that by the end of the day. And if it does reject it, I think it goes back to 92 quickly. All right. Good stuff. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. That's Jim Urio. Final trades are straight ahead on the Halftime Report. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report and get started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Pete, unusual activity. Talk to us. Yeah. Here you go. I've got you, Melco. This one's pretty interesting, Scott, because of the fact the stock has dropped back significantly just in the last five days or so. They're buying the October 17 calls, about 10,000 of those calls buying. Stock was about 1650 at the time. Gives you a little bit of time for these to work. It's not going to be a quick expiration. The next one is Snap. This was my tease from earlier. So I was out of Snap. I'm right back in Snap. And why am I buying it? Because they're buying this week's expiring 25 and a half strike calls. About 12,000 of those, Scott. They're only 20 cents, which I like. They also had buyers just the other day in options that were at the 24 strike. They've worked. This stock continues to go higher. I think it's going to break out. This is one of those that I'm trading. As soon as it doubles, I'm going to take at least half, and then I'll start to hold the rest of it for for at least a couple days. Okay, good stuff. Thanks for that, Pete. I mentioned we do have a couple of interesting calls today. Steph, Amazon gets upgraded to outperform uh, over at Bernstein. Um, They missed it, right? They missed it. They're finally upgrading it. They should have done it back in March, they say. 
year to date, it's up 65 percent. Um, you've been trimming it, though, and you've been trimming it since about a month ago. And I'm wondering, sort of, do you, are, is this yeah. like a, con a continuous thing that you're doing? Well, I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, well, I thought their quarter was flawless. I mean, there was nothing wrong whatsoever. 49% retail sales growth, AWS backlog up 65%, operating income up 138%. I don't know much how much better it gets from here, though, and I just think a lot of good news is priced in. It's up 65%. It just had a quick 16% decline in the shares. So if it actually pulls back further, this would be on my buy list, but I just thought it was prudent to take profits. Okay, Brenda, Facebook. 300 bucks at Oppenheimer today. That's from 270. It's a price target raise. You own Facebook. We do. And you know, Facebook, if you look at within the FANG stocks, it's one of the more attractively valued companies. It's the one that everybody loves to hate. But in our view, with over 3 billion eyeballs on their platform, it's just something that can't be ignored by, by advertisers. So we think uh, the company is going to continue to do well. Okay. Let's do some final trades. Josh Brown, you get the first one. Simon Property Group here in the mid-60s. I like the risk-reward as a trade. I would use 60 as a support level for a stop loss. Okay. We're looking at Simon today up about 1%. Uh, Pete, what do you got for us? I'm seeing some paper out there right now in Zillow, Scott. I like this name already, so I'm about to jump on it, but I think this stock goes higher and breaks through 100. Okay. Brenda? International value. Poised to do well in an economic recovery. Okay. The Linkster. Last, but certainly not least. <laughs> United Healthcare, it's down on the Supreme Court concerns. I think it's way overdone. This is the blue chip in the industry. This is the one you want to buy on weakness. Yeah, been an interesting day in the markets. Of course, we're digesting what uh, the Fed chair had to say, along with the Treasury Secretary talking about the pandemic response. Dow right now is down about 86 points. That does it for us. Thanks so much for watching. The Exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.